This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Tchaikovsky's letters and journal entries leave little doubt that he was gay. But in Russia, where he was born 175 years ago this week, things get a little murky. In the run-up to the big anniversary, May 7, 2015, there's been a campaign in Russia to define Tchaikovsky as neither gay nor straight, but asexual. To help us understand what this is all about, we're joined on the line by Simon Morrison, a professor of Slavic studies at Princeton University. He is currently in Moscow, researching his next book on the Bolshoi Theater. So give us the backstory. What has been going on in Russia recently with regard to Tchaikovsky's biography? Well, the Tchaikovsky matter is part of a larger general trend, which has seen move towards the assertion of more traditional conservative values throughout Russian society. And as part of the new and very powerful influence that the church has had on um, social matters as well as cultural matters, um, there's been an increasingly intense kind of straight-laced uh, crackdown on subversive activities, on experimental artistic productions, on iconoclastic and grotesque treatment of the classics, and so on and so forth. And one of the, I think, reasons for this um, kind of cleansing of the legacy of Tchaikovsky has nothing to do with um, the way that Tchaikovsky has been discussed in Soviet music theory or Russian music theory and Russian musicology, but um, how he has been kind of represented in the West. Because, frankly, uh, Russian musical stud composer have been generally very chaste, have looked at his compositions, you know, using some light kind of sort of semiotic and cultural context and semiotic analyses, but really have not focused on intimate matters. And one of the things that's taken place here as part of a broader agenda, I think, within cultural circles, is actually to, you know, look at a composer who is legitimately Russian, look at how, from the local perspective, his legacy has been tarnished and distorted through an overemphasis personal life, intimate matters. And so there's a, a pullback, a, a reaction against it. Of course, to actually pause it and to write articles saying that, you know, he was not homosexual or his homosexuality is uh, something that's been, you know, applied to him. Oh, well, and a few years back... A few years back, it was widely reported that there was a Russian screenwriter who was making a biopic about Tchaikovsky with state funding in which this Tchaikovsky's sexual orientation was not going to be mentioned at all. Yeah, that's, it's part of the same pattern. I mean, these articles started appearing about Tchaikovsky, you know, well over a year ago. There was, for example, a, a conference about the composer at the, the Glinka Museum, uh, which is not far from where I'm staying. And most of the speakers were just very sort of cultural, contextual matters, new biographical details, new details about the works, very traditional conservative stuff. But there was, at the end, you know, a lecture about foreign, that is to say Western, representations of the composer. I think people generally know that he was homosexual. But I think that the argument here, and it's to do with, you know, a sort of latent Puritanism or, you know, homophobia or whatever you want to call it, but it's not a matter that's generally discussed. And most people actually think that it, actually his works are not about sexuality here. You have particularly taken issue with people who found clues to his sexuality in, say, the Pathetique Symphony. 
I find all of those arguments to be um, terribly reductive um, for the simple reason that uh, I don't think that a composer of that genius, a composer that trafficked in, in large ideas, would actually spend so much, devote so much of his creative attention to representing his own troubled sexuality for the simple reason that A, he had a larger agenda in many of his works, and B, they were involved a lot of other artists. His sexuality was not particularly troubled. So, um, you know, if there were a lot of works that actually represented in a clear way happy homosexual life, then I'd say it's poor. <laughs> that resonates with his personal story. But I cannot really sanction or countenance the argument that deep within the harmonic and tonal structure of symphonies um, there is a sort of distorted or aberrant worldview that comes out of his personal crises. Of course, there are composers for whom not being able to be open about their sexuality did matter. So many of Britain's operas revolved around outsiders who couldn't fit in. You just don't think this is the case with Tchaikovsky? Well, in the case of Britain, I'd say absolutely. I mean, those, those, those operas, I, won't, I mean, I think the word agenda is true, but yes, they are, they are representing things that were close to his heart. Um, in the case of Tchaikovsky, I think that, you know, there's an effusiveness. There's um, an intense sentiment. There is sometimes a kind of saccharine emphasis that the composer, you know, sometimes he regretted how emotional and sentimental he was in his compositions. So I say that it's something generally attitudinal and something about what an emotional person he must have that emerges in his compositions. Can you relate that to his sexual identity? Uh, I guess, perhaps in a general way, sure. But does it mean that his sexual identity was so troubled that he actually distorted syntax and form to sort of get that across? I do not believe that because, I can, again, I come back to the simple position that he was a pretty contented and happy individual. He suffered a great deal in terms of his doubts about his creativity. He suffered a great deal because he had, um, I think, what he considered to be a God-given creative gift that he needed to serve. And, you know, he felt always inadequate. Is there a danger that removing Tchaikovsky's sexuality from the discussion can give ammunition to homophobes and people with other agendas? I'm not. I'm not advocating removing um, discussion of his sexuality from talking about Tchaikovsky. What I would actually argue is that um, an overemphasis on his sexuality is one that actually reduces the works to one level of communication, which I think is a problem because these works are generally very rich. And B, um, actually, to some degree, I think that, I mean, I haven't you know, asked a lot of people about this, but you know, I wonder whether or not the average um, gay person, homosexual person, looking at the kind of things that are written about this composer and his works and his suffering through his identity, would actually find that rather offensive. You know, why can't this genius uh, be discussed with all of these things on the table, including his excessive drinking, um, his love of gambling, um, in fact, that sometimes he, you know, his sexuality is actually not properly interpreted because homosexuality in the 19th century when he lived was a very different thing in terms of what was allowed and what was not allowed then today. It was actually a far more liberal situation in which he was reared, not only in Russia, but also in the West. Um, he lived a pretty free existence. There were codes of conduct which you know he followed, and it was fine. And Alexander Poznansky has written 
you know, at length about this. So I think that, yeah, if we want to discuss um, astrology versus in terms of his career, um, I think then that one needs to do is actually to enrich the definition of homosexuality and properly contextualize it. Because the idea that he was suffering because of his condition is such. Um, that's, that's very much a 20th, 21st century construct to do with sexual politics of a later time applied to his far more liberal existence. Given the current political climate in Russia, do you think it's possible to have an honest discussion about Tchaikovsky's life? Well, you know, I have the privilege of working and knowing a lot of really wonderful scholars here. And scholars who spend their lives, devote their lives to actually finding out details, facts, knowledge, and actually presenting that knowledge within academic settings or publishing it and just getting it out there. And I think that one of the things that I've heard here is that discussions of art or culture outside of you know, Russia or in general, you know, not only about Russian composers but about you know, Western ones, tends to have an argument, and that argument tends to be polemical. And there's a kind of aversion in general, and it's a traditional one, to polemics. So can you have an honest discussion about who Tchaikovsky was? Sure, you can. And in fact, I know um, a lot of scholars here who, you know, really like the idea that, you know, that, this, that his works actually are coded this way. Really like the idea that, like, say, Shostakovich's works, you know, on a different front were coded with sort of resistance to the regime. But in general, I'd say the tradition for the study of the history of culture and music is far more positivist. It's far more about documents, bringing them to life, getting a full picture uh, of, in terms of the details out there. That is the job of a scholar. So I guess the next thing that's going to happen is they're going to go on a campaign to say that Mussorgsky didn't drink himself to death. No, no, no. I, think, I don't think <laughs> that, that is actually that idea, if you will, is sacred. <laughs> Simon Morrison is a professor of Slavic studies at Princeton University. You'll find a link to his article on Tchaikovsky from the Times Literary Supplement on our website. Brian Wise produces Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.